Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowan. I'm here with Big Jim and Goody. We'll be joined later in the show by Scotland and Harlequins' Hugh Jones to chat about their win against Leicester at the weekend. We'll also be looking back at all the action from the URC and Premiership as the playoff race heats up. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. How are we, guys? How's Dubai? Goody? I have had the best holiday. I say I, we have had the best holiday. I've had it a long time. I remember Jim was talking about it. He said when he went away, he felt like he didn't necessarily need the second holiday. But then when he got out there, he was loving life. Basically, I'm staying at Caesars Palace. I've got to give him a massive shout out. This place is unbelievable. And the service is that good. They started calling me Julius. I think they think I own the gaff. Why Why Julius? What do you mean? His name is Julius Caesar, right? Well, did he own the palace, did he? Well, it's Caesar's Palace, mate. <laughs> oh, is that his name? I thought his name was Caesar. Julius Caesar. A bit of history for you there, James. Uh, yeah, there's statues of him everywhere, and I'm just, basically, people are pointing at the statue, pointing at me. I'm like, no, honestly, it's not, no. But yeah, we've had an unbelievable week. I've eaten like a king. I've stayed in a palace. I was winning the dad bod competition around the pool until halfway through the week. I looked up, and I knew he was coming because my mate sorted him out to come here. I looked up when I'm in the pool with the kids, walking down, was this man mountain of a bloke. And I thought, is it Jim? Could that be Jim? Was it The Rock? As it got closer and closer, basically Anthony Joshua. Oh my God, what an absolute monster of a bloke. So uh, I, I thought it could have been you, Jim. And then I saw the arms and I was like, well, it's definitely not Jim. Uh, but he's got similar legs to you. His calves are tiny. So I've, I've definitely got him on the calves, but the rest of it, he is an absolute beast. So uh, he's been hanging out on the beach. I think he was basically trying to get away from the big fight at the weekend. Tyson Fury absolutely destroying Dillian White. So, um, yeah, I think he was trying to get away from all the mayhem of that because he was probably getting nosed off left, right and centre. But he's he's definitely won the, the best body around the beach. And I came a very distant second, I think. Tell me straight. And I know the missus is on holiday with you and she'll say that she weren't looking and she had her sunglasses on but was only looking at a book. Did he have them white shorts on, which were see-through or not? <laughs> no, he didn't. He had some big baggy shorts on. But, yeah, he was... He's got a right strut on him as well. I'm like, hold on a minute. Of course he bloody has. He's a multimillionaire. He's hung like an absolute Trojan. And the reason <laughs> I mentioned about the white shorts, I've seen a picture in arguably one of the most incredible newspapers ever, and it was online. The Mail Online is what I'm trying to say, where he's got white shorts on, and all I can see is a helmet. I can see two legs, small calves, and a helmet. And I'm like, my goodness me, you lucky man. That's the only reason I'm asking because yeah. when I picture him, I'd I'd be horrified. It was bad enough with Gareth Davis in the hotel, but if Anthony Joshua was there, regardless, 
that he's a fraud when it comes to boxing. Let's get it out there. <laughs> I mean, is there not a statue up of you in Nobu or not? I mean, how much <laughs> fish have you eaten? I thought you like animals. I thought you like zoos and all that. Like, why are you eating all the fish? We don't, oh, mate, because they have to be eaten, don't It's not just the fish. It's the, the Wagyu steak, the lobsters. Are lobsters not fish? No, James. They're crustaceans. They're not fish. Okay. Don't know what a crustacean is. Is that a, a, one of them hard things that goes in a salad, is it? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. But yeah, no, I'm very lucky to be good friends with the head chef at Nobu in Dubai, Damien, who is probably the only Frenchman that likes me in the world. Well, that's because you're paying him a £1,000 a day. That's why you're mates. <laughs> no, he looks after me very well, I must say. I'd hate to think, if I'd have got the proper bill, what it would have been with the amount of food I consumed in Nobu for the three times we went there. So I dread to think, there's no scales in the hotel, thank God. The weigh-in could be pretty brutal when I get home, mind. I should say, you've said Damien's looking after you, the Nobu chef. I could potentially say that he is negligent. So there's negligence <laughs> and there could be a court case looming. Just get yourself home, Andrew, is all I'm saying. Get yourself home safely and we'll get you back on that spin bike in your blue Adidas t-shirt. Hopefully, I mean, Jesus Christ, your head looks massive. Yeah, like, can you put weight on in your head or not? I think so, yeah, the jowls. The cheeks and the jowls. But yeah, mate, I'm happy. We've had an unbelievable week. The girls have been very well behaved. They've loved it. And it was all about connecting again, like family time. And uh, thank God the nanny's coming back tomorrow morning when we get back. Jim, you had a relaxing weekend in London, didn't you, mate? I wouldn't say relaxing. A weekend of sports with my eldest, the easiest... JJ, so we were in London at the weekend, put it all on social, of course I did, went to Arsenal, Man United, we were pitch side, we were basically in the changing rooms, so absolutely loved doing that at the weekend, and yeah, no work, which felt a bit weird, because I've woke up on Monday morning, I'm absolutely bollocks. it's probably because the flight from Luton back to Edinburgh, I mean what an airport Luton is, my goodness me, you've got hell holes <laughs> and then you've got Luton, flight was delayed by about two or three hours, from hell, coming back to heaven. Leg room? Yeah, I've got leg room. JJ's at the back. He's happy. Give him an iPad. He'll sit there and he's happy to fly to Australia if he's got an iPad. Uh, his dad fell asleep in the leg room seat. Absolutely bollocks from two days in London, which was all pleasure. No work, all pleasure, which was a bit of a treat. Felt a bit weird, actually, because I went back to Saracens and watched the game and I weren't working. So I felt a little bit like, a bit edgy. Should I be working? Do I need to work? No, I've earned it. So I had a good weekend of sport. I like the football. I'll be honest, I got a bit of stick for calling Ronaldo out. I don't know why. People trying to make headlines out of Jim Hamilton, one of the shittest rugby players who've ever done it, against Ronaldo, one of the greatest football players to have ever done it. But nonetheless, it was good seeing him live and watch the boxing in bed. Enjoyed that as well. And now I'm back. And do you think I've seen any URC matches? Absolutely <laughs> not. No. So we can wing out a few headlines out of that. And I've watched a bit of Prem, actually. But no, it was good. Nice. I'm... Uh, I've had a good weekend with JJ. We connected. There's a lot to get through. He's, he's at an age now where there's a lot to talk about. He's 11, right? He's 11, going on 12. There's a lot to get through, isn't there, at that age? Been a young lad. You know, things are starting to happen. He wants a mobile phone. He wants to go out with the lads. He's looking left. He's looking right. He's seeing what's happening in London. And yeah, it's just my job as a responsible adult and dad with a lot of wisdom and life experience that I just need to find times in the year to spend some time and just pass that on. Quick question, Jim, because obviously, you know, for the, for the millions of listeners, we're in contact most days, right? And, and my missus says to me, when I'm a bit immature, she's like, have you not spoken to Jim today? I was like, oh, we had a couple of messages or whatever. But she knows when I'm acting a bit of a fool, I haven't got it out speaking to you yet. So 
I want to rewind the clock, Jim, because you you failed to mention something. You went on another holiday last week, didn't you? Centre Parks. Absolutely <laughs> shocking. And I feel like, I don't know what the word is. Even though I've been to Dubai, I am, <laughs> I'm like Tyson Fury. I'm a man of the people, right? Salt of the earth. Basically, I'm a traveller as well. And I love how I'm trying to pull out some analogies of myself and Tyson Fury. Basically, I look like a bag of sick like he does. But <laughs> Centre Parks, I, I like it. It's an expensive place to go. You don't normally get reviews from me. People don't get reviews from me, like as in review the hotel, review this. I mean, the swimming pool, it was 150% over capacity. It was going to the supermarket to try and get some food. Nothing's there. You've got Teresa and Tracy. Like, I'm like, they're working there. I'm like, ladies, where's all the food? Ah, we're out of stock. Yeah, yeah I can see that. But like, <laughs> where's the food? You know what I mean? I don't matter. I'll get the kids chips, chips and nuggets again from the local restaurant. Cost 25 quid. How was the drive down? Because I heard that was pretty brutal as well, wasn't it? Oh, a lot of shouting, a lot of stopping. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of like pulling over, like, what's going on here? But there wasn't like a lot of like, what's going on there? There was an F word in the middle of that. And yeah. And something that begins with shut and ending up. And yeah, I mean, didn't need it. That's all I'm saying. Didn't need it. But always forgiven when it was just me and JJ. Yeah, back-to-back holidays, Dubai one week, Centre Parks the next, and then how did you get the green card to say, right, I'm taking the easiest kid, I'm leaving you at home back with the other three, but I'm taking the easiest kid, JJ, down to London, we're going to have a weekend of sport. I mean, how did you get away with it? It was either that or divorce, so (laughs) the route she wanted to take, I gave her both options, here we are. I feel a bit harsh because Beck's dad took us to Centre Parks and got all the family together, so that was nice. Oh, I'm grateful. How bad are you, Jim? I know. Actually, I feel bad. You know what? It was really good. Actually, <laughs> it was really good. There were signs littered everywhere, right? So at Centre Parks in Nottingham, there's signs everywhere. Don't touch the birds. Don't go near the birds. They've got bird flu or there's bird flu happening here. I'm thinking, what? well, there's birds everywhere. What are you on about? Don't go near the birds. So the kids, like the twins running after the birds. I'm like, don't touch the birds. Why not? Because they've got bird flu. What's bird flu? I don't fucking know. I don't know what bird flu is. You can't touch the birds. You can't eat birds because they've got no birds to eat. Anything. They've got nothing to eat. There's bikes everywhere. Ding, 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 ding. We're like, what's going on? Ding, 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 ding. Walking around with the kids, like going to get mowed down by a bike. What a way to go. Let's talk about your positive part of the week then. Saracens, big win against the Chiefs. Oh, I didn't deserve it, did they? It was the ref. Ref won it for them, according to the Twitter monster. Who said that? Twitter monster. Don't be putting words in my mouth, James. I, at no point did I say Saracens didn't deserve it. At no point did I say the ref gave them the game and all this stuff. What I'm saying is Saracens were the better team, but they were aided at times by Craig Maxwell Keys, who, woeful. Let's get straight into the negatives. No, no, listen. First and foremost, I want to say Owen Farrell was outstanding. Man of the match. Quality, quality player. Back to getting near his best form. I love the way Mark McCall... And I, I thought about this, actually. I... I, I Listen to some of the interviews afterwards and then Mark McCall was talking about his leadership and how great he is. And all I'm thinking, every time someone else talks about Owen Farrell, how he rallied the troops and, you know, led from the front and all this stuff, is all the rows that you used to have with him at training, Jim. And his accent going, you're fucking shite, Jim, you're fucking shite. And he's ranting, at, <laughs> he's ranting and raving at all his players at Sarries. I'm thinking, imagine if Jim was on the field now, it'd be all his fault. Well, look at us now. Look at us now. He's back to his very best. I'm at my very best and I flip-flop on this a little bit because, again, going back to the football at the weekend, I don't want to go too deep into it. I've already spoken about it before. I'm looking at Ronaldo shouting at all the players. He's shouting at everyone, like as in the ref, the players. And I'm like, maybe that is what very good players do. 
they just want to shout at the people when things ain't going well. But I thought Owen, I don't think he was shouting at anyone at the weekend. That is the best I've seen him play. Yeah. I'd say in a, I don't know, 18 months, two years. And you speak to people at Sarri's, and look, this is an obvious statement. He's running the show. He is. And you look at his age profile, you look at where Marcus Smith is coming through, you look at England, you look at the captaincy that he's got, you look at his form, you look at the injuries that he's had. Like, he is a player. If anyone can turn it around, he is a player that can do it. And I, I same as you, I know he got man of the match at the weekend, but he was phenomenal. Ben Orr was amazing as well. He's he's an unbelievable player, isn't he? Absolutely class. But yeah, the breakdown. They got away with murder around the breakdown, not rolling away in the tackle. Offside lines weren't really looked at much. Uh, and listen. That was one. The offside from where I was sat, Faz was offside a couple of times and it wasn't picked up. But it didn't have any influence on that phase of play. But this is the point though. Whenever you're offside, of course it does. Because as an attacking 10 and having been there, when you see that defensive line up in your face, you've got less time to make decisions. You're... You know, and whether you think it's got a material impact on that phase, it has a material impact on the the brain of a ten and, and where to attack and how to attack. Because if they're getting away with it, they keep chancing it, and it's something that you know every team pushes the the line there, don't they? In terms of the offside line, trying to get off the line as fast as they can. Saracens deserve to win. Exeter had sixty odd percent possession in that first half, loads of opportunities, took a few, didn't take them all. And against a top team like Saracens, which we know they are, if you don't take those opportunities, then they turn it round. They've got the wind. You know, Farrell's gone nuts at them at half time, whatever, you know, and led from the front. He starts rocking up, making breaks. The power game comes on. Maxwell Keyes misses a few things, and everything turned in Saracens' favour. And, and they were fully deserved of the victory. But if, if you can't see that Maxwell Keyes wasn't on the ball there and didn't have his best game, then. You know, you've got your Saracens tinted spectacles. Spe- testicles. Spectacles on, James. Yes, yes. James, you obviously didn't see it the same way. Andrew, are you Andrew or not, Andy Rowe? Yeah, You're I'm not an Andrew. Andrew. Are you? Are you? He's a fish. He's a weird fish. Yeah, fish. That's it. I call you Annette. Annette, I was there <laughs> and witnessed it. I had a great seat. Of course I did. Saracens, legend, they said. Tulip Club? Yeah, of course, mate. Just uh, with Boy George, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, don't let the sun go down on me and all that. <laughs> so he was there. He was loving it. I thought Exeter, that is the, the most engaged I've seen them. So, look, if we give a snapshot of why they're engaged, historically, right, everything that's gone on between Saracens and Exeter, pre the salary cap stuff. And then if you remember the salary cap stuff and how outspoken Baxter was and Tony Rowe, and rightly so. Like, it's their prerogative. Exeter were involved in them situations where Saracens won games. So there's a snapshot. Let me stumble and muffle my way through that. The big thing is, is that that is the first time they've played at home, at Saracens, where Exeter haven't played well this season. Let's put it out there. They're fighting to get in the top four. Some idiot said they wouldn't make the top four. He could be right. He could be. He could be right. He could be right. Rob Baxter doesn't agree. They've obviously got two games left, but I'm just trying to set the scene. There was a lot of emotion in the lead up to that game. So you know that Exeter, for them reasons alone, trying to get into the top four, that they were going to rock up, right? adding the fact that it is Saracens, adding the fact that there's England players obviously involved and what have you, there's internationals across the board for Exeter as well. So all the emotion in the lead up to that and you knew it was going to be a good game. Saracens on the flip side of that, for the reasons that I've just said, you knew that this was the game. You could feel it even in the Tulip Club, which is the corporate where ex-players go and people who own the club. It, it was always going to be that game. And the fact that Saracens are trying to get a home semi-final, that was the kind of lead up to the game. And both teams, I thought, emotionally were there and physically. I thought what we saw was two teams that were 100% on it. And what it came down to was Exeter 
in my opinion, blew a gasket in the first half. They put so much yeah. into it physically. And we know that Saracens have got the ability to do it. The guys mentioned it after the game in commentary and after the match when they, they analyse it. But that is the facts of it. When you've got Billy Vanapola going and going and going and going, at some point, I know he goes off, but you've got McFarlane coming on and you've got the likes of Sean Maitland, every single high ball he's going for. Swinson, what a player. Yeah, take him off, he missed the tackle. But I don't want to get a horrible <laughs> on him. But we could name the players. Aroni Maui as well, and Lucid Prop. Lucid Prop, I mean, where's he come from? He's come from the bloody Worcester A-League or something like that via Fiji. And you've got players like that who are next off the rank, the physicality that they've got. Rob Baxter said it, and the facts of it are, it's all well and good rocking up for half an hour, but when Saracens are on it like that, and yes, they made a few mistakes in defence, uh, and there's a load to work on for them, but that's the best I've seen Saracens play in terms yeah. of en engagement-wise, in terms of being engaged into a game, for the reasons that we mentioned before, and the fact that Owen Farrell, you remember Maro Atoji didn't play as well, yeah. Saracens' best player. You look at the bat line, world-class bat line for Saracens, but that's the thing now. The worry is for Exeter is that they seem to have dropped off. Significantly. Yeah, significantly, but like not really significantly, but in terms dropped of... Dropped off significantly for them. Exactly. That's the exact point. Like they are not near it at the minute. They might scrape into the top four. And some idiot said they wouldn't make the top four. And my goodness me, whoever that idiot was, was a genius. My point being, you could see it coming. You could feel it coming around Exeter. For whatever reason, the way that they play physically, all the teams are doing that now. So when they get close to the trial line, Exeter's point of difference was close to the trial line, they convert points. All teams do that now. So Exeter again, halfway line, they play, they play. They'd exhaust teams. They're making too many errors around now. Like I, I wrote down in my brown book, I wrote three things. Boy George, don't let the sun go down on me. Ronaldo, legend, and Exeter, too many mistakes. That's what I wrote down. Missed line out, not rolling away. Insight. I know, just giving the fans what they want, Andrew, a bit of everything, a bit of kind of multicultural, a bit of culture club. <laughs> See what I've done there, a bit of culture. Uh, a bit of football. <laughs> Exeter, what we saw at the weekend was them physically there, mentally there, but the inaccuracies that have been there all season reared their head again against Saracens at the highest level at the weekend. What did you make of Exeter picking Slade at fly half, Goody? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Ultimately, when they had their success, Exeter, Joe Simmons was captain and fly half and playing unbelievably well. Now, this year, earlier on the season, his form wasn't great. He got dropped and Harvey Skinner played 10 a fair bit. I played against Slade at 10 years ago when he was first burst onto the scene and we played Exeter against Wasps at our place. And I'm like that, my God, that is some player at 10. And then he's obviously... It was around him and Steenson. They gave him a load of goes at 10 and it didn't really work because Steenson was the 10 and the kicker and all this stuff. And obviously they fitted him into centre because he's a bit of a flair player as well, isn't he? So perhaps didn't fit the mould of an Owen Farrell type 10 that can lead a team. He had his moments and Henry Slade had his moments at the weekend of brilliance, but he's not a controlling 10. So that's where he went away from it. And he made himself into an unbelievable centre. But I always enjoy watching play at 10. The reasons behind it, who knows? Like Jim said, they're not at it as a team so maybe they're trying to look at you know some fixes around trying different combinations to try and find that magic ingredient I know Hendrickson and Witten played in the centres was it about the power of those two I think it possibly was getting two big lumpy centres in there obviously Tompkins is a handful to deal with but yeah it's a really interesting selection and you know extra now they've got a bye week this week and they've got two games left they play Bristol away and their last game of the season is at home to Quinn so they can still get 10 points Rob Baxter said it after the the game at the weekend, 
a lot of those teams in the middle are playing each other as well. They can still make the playoffs. Will they make it? Oh, they've got to get 10 points to do it now, haven't they? Because it's out of their hands and they've got to hope for maybe Quinn's going to Saints this weekend and winning. It's just tough to call on, isn't it? They're not at the races and they've not been at the races all season in terms of the levels that we expect them at. Jim Hamilton called it. The same bloke that said they wouldn't make the top four, that genius, also said that Bristol finished in the top two and look what's happened to them this year. So <laughs> there you go. But yeah, listen, Exeter, uh, they'll bounce back. And I think Rob Baxter said it, didn't he? He had a bit of a jab after the game at some people because he said, if this is a reset season for us and we don't quite make the playoffs, there's been a load of teams that have been resetting for about 10 years near the bottom of the Premiership. So quite interesting <laughs> statement. I think he's getting fed up of people questioning him. Andrew, if you actually go through the archives, I said that Bristol wouldn't make the top four as well. Some idiot said that, I'm just saying. But some <laughs> other idiot who does a podcast as well, who is absolutely ginormous at the minute, also said that <laughs> Gloucester would get relegated. <laughs> I didn't know. Again, Jim, stop putting words into my mouth. I didn't say Gloucester would get relegated. I think I said Gloucester would finish bottom. Same thing. It's not the same thing because I knew there was no relegation. But what I am going to say, I didn't mean Gloucester. I meant their, their neighbours, Bath, because how bad are they? But yeah, Gloucester, frustrating for them, eh? Yeah, missed a chance. Late, late Bears try, put their top four chances in jeopardy, isn't it? Good game, though. Actually, all the games at the weekend, some are rugby, I'll say it again. All the games at the weekend, I thought were brilliant in terms of the tries that we stored, in terms of the skill set, and it comes down to the weather, in my opinion. I thought Bristol looked the best they've played for a long time. Ball was sticking. They were getting yards in the outside channels. When you look at it, if they're were both at the top of their game, probably well-matched. And I say that, I know Gloucester have got a good drive, they've got a good pack, and Bristol's like to play a little bit wider, but I thought Bristol looked very good, to be fair, and deserved the win. And there was a number of things that happened in the game that we could potentially go through, but Gloucester are still in it. Yes, they lost, but the story of Gloucester's season is when they lose, they pick up bonus points. So, like Andrew said, bottom of the league... <laughs> <laughs> I meant Bath. I meant their neighbours, Bath. I'm sure I said it. But I, I reckon Gloucester are on for top four when I look at the season going forward for them. Lewis Rees Summit, I thought was excellent again. They've got a good profile in the centre with Atkinson. We've mentioned it and Harris. His wheels are ridiculous, aren't they? Let's go back to Rees Summit. I mean, he's just a ridiculous threat. Whenever he gets the ball, is it me? I watch him, right? I don't want to say this because someone will make a headline out of it, but sometimes he looks like he's a bit of a rabbit in the headlights and he just runs as fast as he can. And I mean that in the best possible way because his X factor is his speed. So he just thinks run. And that creates danger in everyone's eyes and panic around, including himself probably. But he makes unbelievable breaks and puts defenders in all sorts of trouble because they just can't lay a finger on him half the time. It's like Johnny May. Like Johnny May when he was in his prime, that's exactly what Lewis Rees-Summit is. I think they need to use him more. I know they brought him in in the midfield and he made some line breaks off the back of that, but I think they need to use him more, like as, as much as they can, get his hands on the ball. But yeah, I enjoyed that game. Sam Bedloe gets red carded, rightly so. Ridiculous. I mean... But this is the thing, you say that, it was absolutely crazy as tackle, but rewind the clock... I don't know when it was, was it in the first half? He absolutely smokes Adam Hastings. And there's a clip going around on social media where Adam Hastings dummies to the outside, dummies to the inside, and then whammo! Gets absolutely belted. The perfect tackle. And then Sam Bedlow, at the 69 minutes in, 69-69, he's obviously lost his head because it's the 69th minute, and takes Adam Hastings' head off. What's he thinking? And the referees now, there's been a shift. They don't want to give red cards, do they? Like, there's ones where they're on the borderline where they're giving yellows and they're talking about force and all these things. We don't want to get into it now because 
we've exhausted it, but we need to talk about it. But that one, as soon as you saw it, you were like, mate. What are you doing? You're done. You're off. Skivington mentioned it after, around the forward pack, around some of the set piece stuff. I, I don't know what the stats are on Bristol's. They might be top of the log when it comes to lineouts and stuff like that. I don't think they are. So I'm happy to put my name to it. But Gloucester, that's an area of their game where they're normally phenomenal. Skivington took it on the chin. If they're going to be a top four team, and you look at the teams in that top four, Leicester, as we know, Saracens, as we know, Quinns have got an awesome pack when you look at the stats, both line-out and scrum. Your Quinns. My Quinns. Gloucester, who have been a force of nature when it comes to line-outs uh, this season, just weren't quite on it, were they? So, pick two points up against Bristol, who were arguably the best they've been all season. Do you know what the thing I loved about George Skivington and listening to him as a coach, and I know Skiv's a little bit from my playing days, he's a coach you definitely play for, eh? And you put everything into it. He said in the interview afterwards, he said, you know, it's my fault, my responsibility. I'm, I prepped the team in that area. It wasn't good enough. But as a coach, every time I listen to him, I'd love to play for Skivs, I reckon, if I was... And I think back to some of the absolute cowboy coaches that I had in my time. And you look at some of the coaches now in the Prem, young, good coaches, you definitely want to play for them. And Skivs is top of that list, I reckon. You have to say with George Skivington, if we're getting into it, with the squad that he's got, in how long he's been in charge of that club, he would be the coach of the season for me. When you look at the players that he's got at his disposal, if they make it into the top four, he might say it, he might not say it. That is a massive overachievement for them. From where Goody yeah. thought they were going to finish last to potentially being top four, that is a phenomenal season. They have been the overachievers this season, already, in my opinion. Yeah, and the reason I said they were going to finish last is you look at how they finished the back end of last season with a very similar squad. They were absolutely shocking lost a boatload of games on the bounce because there was no relegation. It didn't mean anything. And that's why I did it. So there was a bit of reasoning behind it. But obviously, Skivs and Alex King, who's a good coach there as well, and the boys have listened to the podcast and said, we'll prove that fat so-and-so wrong. And they have. And Goody, Saints kept their top four hopes alive, coming back from 31-12 down to win at Bath. They did. And I was, I was flicking on the scores while I was on the Sun Lounger with my belly hanging out and the pina coladas coming over. And I saw that 57 minutes in, I'm like, classic Saints. When they're hot, they're hot. But when they're bang average, they, yeah, being a Saints fan must be so frustrating. But then they've scored four tries in the last sort of 20 odd minutes. A mad finish. Mikey Hayward scores one at the end, which was, <laughs> when you look back at the try, it's the most ludicrous thing possible because they're trying to reach out to score the try. Then Rock and Naguni comes in from the side and accidentally kind of kicks the ball out of the hand. The Bath players have got the ball back. And then they think it's knock-on, so they just let Mikey Hayward have the ball. He dives over to score the try, goes to TMO, and everything's followed to the, to the left of the law. And somehow, by hook or by crook, they've given the try, rightly so, to Saints for them to win the game. But yeah, it's a massive comeback for them. And that puts them in control of the top four now. So they've got three games left. They're in fourth. They've got Quinns at home this weekend. Saracen's away in a few weeks' time. And then the last game of the season, they've got Newcastle Falcons who can't put a team together pretty much to compete in a game at the minute. So they've got their own destiny in their own hands now, but 20 minutes to go, I'm just looking at them going, so much talent there, yet they've gone to Bath and we're getting hosed. They found a way, they've got a penalty try, that you know, Ludlum was unbelievable in the back row for them as well. So massive turning point. When you, you talk about fine margins about getting the top four, and we mentioned Gloucester earlier, losing towards the death against Bristol, you know, to take it out of their hands. Northampton have, have pulled a rabbit out of the hat, coming from 31-12 down 
away at Bath. I don't know Bath are bottom of the league, so you kind of think that there's not much to play for for them. But their team looked pretty good, actually, Bath's team. And fair play, Saints stuck in there and they've got the win and they're in control of that fourth spot at the minute. Let's get a concrete prediction then. Who is going to join Saracens and who's going to join Leicester in the top four? Ooh. I think Wasps are going to make it. Look at Jim. <laughs> Jim's face. Jim's you said face. Wasps were top four. I, I said Sale, didn't I? So when I made my predictions at the start of the season, I said the top three, and then I said Sale. You said Wasps and Bristol as well, Andrew, and Exeter. No, I didn't think Wasps would make the top four this year. I just looked. So they've got London Irish away this weekend. Tough. Yeah. But it's a game that they can... They're both loose teams that can go and score points. And they beat them there last year. Then they've got Sale at home on a Friday night. And then they've got Leicester away. Last game of the season. Leicester may rest a few and they might beat... No, I don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? Definitely Harlequins. Jim's Harlequins. Saints. Saints have got Newcastle last game of the season. Goody, you've been you've been very vague here. Let's let's just give us give us four names. He can't, he can't. He, he's second guessing himself because he said that Gloucester would finish last. So he's like all over the place. Like he's completely <laughs> like, this is it. This is the one prediction that he could make and get right this season. You really only need to pick one team to join Quinns, Leicester, and Saracens. Who's the other team? Who's joining them? Exeter. There he is. I just think they'll get ten points in the two games, and they'll squeak in through the back door. Jim, what have you got, mate? Again, it is hard to call because all of the teams that we're talking about to try and make fourth place, I think Quinns are cemented in third, have been up and down this season. I'm going to go... Goody could be right with Exeter, but I'm going to just stick to my guns and say Exeter aren't going to make the top four. I'm thinking on Super Saturday that Gloucester will play Saracens and Saracens would have already cemented top two and Gloucester are going to sneak in. Maybe that's because I want them to. You ain't saying that Saracens are going to throw a game to prevent Exeter making the top four. Jim, you're horrible. You can't say that, Jim. You can't, you can't say that. You're a manipulator. <laughs> I think more so because I want Gloucester to do it. Exeter have had their time. Now, let's speak in frankly, they're a team in, oh, let's say, in transition. Uh, they could well be. Who knows if Baxter leaves? What did you know? What are you saying? You're saying Baxter's going to go to England? What do you know? I don't know. What do you know? Uh, I want Gloucester to do it. I think they've got a tough run with Quinns at Twickenham. They can beat Bath. Yeah, bugger it. I'll stick with my guns. Gloucester, fourth. Here he is. Well, Leicester rested a few of their top players uh, for their trip to Quinns. Marcus Smith bounced back well after the disappointment of last week, didn't he? He did. And it was interesting. The battle between him and George Ford at 10, obviously. The whole England scenario. Yeah, listen, Marcus Smith missed that kick last week. It's never going to affect him ball in hand as a player because we know how much confidence he's got ball in hand. And he was brilliant in the game, I thought. I thought the way he controlled it, they kicked a lot. Harlequins, didn't they, compared to what we thought they would. But he pulls the trigger at the right time. The battle at 10 between him and George Ford, I think thought he won that hands down. Yeah, listen, you can wax lyrical about him because he's a wonderful player. And that clutch kick that he missed... And I spoke about it last week to to beat Montpellier. He's the sort of player that's got that much confidence that you just move on to the next week. And he seemed to have done that at the weekend. You know, they dominated them at set piece. Leicester, and I said it last season, when Harlequins went up to sale, when I was commentating on the game for BT Sport at the end of the season, Harlequins changed their team completely. And people are like, oh, it's just wrong. They shouldn't do that. They don't have the right to do that because they'd already made the playoffs. Now, Leicester are fighting on three fronts. They've got the 
Premiership Cup semi-final on Tuesday this week uh, against London Irish. Obviously, they're top of the Prem. They've rotated a lot all year and they've got the quarter-final coming up of the Champions Cup against Leinster at home. So they rested a few. You know, Genji's put in a monstrous shift for England and then post-Six Nations back at Leicester. You know, they rested a few guys. Obviously, Coley's coming back from injury and they, they were comp- competitive, weren't they? They nearly won. Well, yeah, there's, there's your point. And Quinns were all out. That's their best team, pretty much, weren't they, as far as I could see. But what Borthers has done a lot this year, he's made changes, he's rotated. And, you know, you talk about players. Harry Potter, who scored a wonder try last week, didn't he, against Claremont. He missed a tackle, a couple of tackles this week that led to some big impacts. You know, there was one missed tackle on Liner, who, which ends up leading to Esther Hazen's try. So the rotation of everyone and, you know, you can be a hero one week, you can be a zero the next in any sport. But Leicester will be... You know, as Borthers said after the the game in his interview, I just wish he'd give a bit more Borthers because he's he's try- you can see sometimes he tries really hard to crack a joke. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Apparently, he's unbelievable on karaoke. He just literally <laughs> goes from song to song, just belts them out with a cigarette in his mouth, and then he chops a bottle of whiskey and then slams it and then puts his arms in the air. Apparently, that's what he does. That's his party trick. Yeah, I can't imagine that being the case. What do you guys make of the incident where Don Brandt was penalised for pushing Marla? into contact rather than Callum Green being penalised for the high shot. Oh, the nuances of Ruggers, eh? What a shit bloke. Marler is, eh? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? Why is he pushing him? No, Don Brandt pushed Marler, you mother. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, he was, yeah, sorry. Well, that's why he got pushed. Hey, shit bloke. Shit blokes get pushed, do they not? <laughs> he would have been raging at that. Maybe Don Brandt's thinking, there ain't a chance that at the speed he's running, he's breaking anything. So I'll tell you what, let's let him break a leg on the way through. And uh, yeah, I've seen that happen a lot. Not as glaringly obvious as that. And the reason that got highlighted was because obviously Callum Green ended up putting the high shot on him. But right call by the ref. And you can't... Actually, there's a couple of things at the weekend. So that was one, and we can talk about that. But also, Liebenberg, when he pushed Liner into touch, I mean, it was a great tackle. But I, I, I don't know. I don't think you should be able to push people into touch. Why? I just don't. I just don't. It's not a tackle, is it? It's a push. He's attempting to grab and push and no, all that stuff. No. No, 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 no. He put. He, he pushed him. TMO Andy here says the letter of the law was followed by the best referee in the world, Wayne Barnes, and the initial misdemeanor was by Alex Dombrant pushing Joe Marler into contact, which is something that they're actually trying to clamp down on at the minute. Because obviously, when you talk about forces and everything around the tackle. They've tried to get away from the latch a bit as well, haven't they, where it's two guys going into a tackle, so it's sort of double the force. They're also now pinpointing players being pushed into contact because it gives them that extra spring, so the defender is going to be under more pressure. So in reality, I still think, and I'll say it, had Dombrand not pushed him, Callum Green has still probably banged him in the chops by accident. Like He's not obviously trying to hit him in the face, but... Letter of the law is dead right. I still think Callum Green would have been high, even if Don Brandt wouldn't have pushed him, even though that accelerated Marler into the tackle. So, yeah, Wayne Barnes spot on again. A lot of people would look at it and go, it's just a, still a high shot, it should have been a red. But the reaction and, and the reasons for that were potentially the fact that he was pushed into contact. So I know World Rugby and the referees are trying to clamp down on that as well, around the forces into contact and everything like that. So good referee, Wayne Barnes, says the TMO. We used to practice that at Saracens. So when we'd look at different things... And of course he was. He was the guinea pig. Jim Hamilton's the guinea pig. So I've got Mako Vunapola literally 
ragdolling me through contact, as in throwing me through contact. <laughs> Absolutely bollocks. I could barely get down at the best of times. Did you catch the ball first, though? Well, I didn't know because we, we were doing it in training, so that I, just in case, they gave me the ball to start with. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I picked the ball up on the floor, and then I'd jog, and then literally I'd get torpedoed into about three bags. It's how the neck that. <laughs> Well, we can have a chat now with the man of the match from that one. Quinn's fullback, Hugh Jones, joins us. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, and good to be here. Thanks. Hugh, class to have you, mate. Just talk us through how happy you are at the minute and what it's like playing 15. Not a position, not that I'm an expert, but I don't think I've ever seen you play 15 and now you're carving up. What's happened? Yeah, well, I'm having loads of fun. It's great. I mean, Quinn's is really fun club to be a part of. We play good rugby and 15... I mean, I'm surprised I actually played the whole of last season at 15 for Glasgow and you you were on most of those games. Oh, so. God, was I? <laughs> Do you know what? I was about to say that. I was about to say that, but I thought, no, I'm going to let Hugh embarrass him because... I meant for Scotland. I meant for Scotland. That's what I meant. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> That's how much attention Jim pays to the URC when he commentates Hoggy plays it. for Glasgow, doesn't he? Hoggy's at Glasgow, <laughs> I take it. Keep it in. Keep going, yeah. Hugh. Keep going. Yeah, no, it's, it's been great actually. I mean, I don't really mind sort of where I'm playing as long as I'm on the field, which is which is great fun. But yeah, I get loads of ball. The kicking game is it's sort of new, but kind of think that with the help of the rest of the team, we're kind of dealing with it quite well. So, and I get to attack. I, I sort of pop in in the same sort of channels as I would if I was playing thirteen. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's great fun and I'm enjoying it. Mate, you played exceptionally well. I've got to ask a question though. When you're doing the interview, where's the pat on the back for yourself for the other backs? You just talked about the forwards. Humble. Humble. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I mean, coming into the game, I- I've sort of seen in training recently in the last couple of weeks since I've been playing 15, the boys have been working actually so hard on the kind of, um, uh, some guys call it escort lines or cradle lines, when they're sort of running back and the kick's coming towards me. Blocking. Blockers, basically. <laughs> yeah, essentially what we're trying to do is block. But they've been so good at that in the in the last couple of weeks. And the forwards sort of firing into the break, that really making it hard for the opposition kickers, which means that I get more time to catch the ball. But it's been great the last couple of weeks. So a lot of the credit does go to them. And I think the defence from our, from our lads, the big guys defending them all, they were incredible um, on the weekend. Uh, which is a sort of obviously a big strength of Tigers. They, were, they kept going to the corner and we just sort of kept defending it well. So um, they were, yeah, a big part of the reason why we won. I'll get straight into it then. Scotland, we're segueing. I'm going to get straight into it. Why not? Try and redeem myself. How are you nowhere near the mix? Do you know why? What's the reasons? I mean, you, and I say that because you're playing at the champion team. You're playing, in my opinion, at position. I've always seen you as a 13. That's why for Scotland. And you're carving up and... You're not in the mix. Do you know what's going on? Like, are you keen to be back in the mix, either at 15 or 13? We'll move Hoggy out. <laughs> I'd love to be back in the mix. Yeah, that'd be great. I was in the squad in the um, in the autumn, but didn't get a game. And I was sort of back and forth, going back on the sort of midweek to play for Quinns and try and get, get some game time. And when it came to the Six Nations, it was kind of the same story. I, I was basically told that I hadn't played enough, which was fair. I sort of I'd started the season with Quinns. I'd come back from a foot injury in the summer and I'd been on the bench most of the time, 10, 15 minutes at most, most weekends. And so it was only really sort of January when I actually started getting a few games, but it wasn't enough in time for the Six Nations squad. And to be fair, I think that was the chat I got anyway. And there were a lot of other Scottish centres who had been playing week in, week out, either 
Edinburgh, Glasgow or in the Prem. And so, to be honest, it kind of worked out. I, I managed to get a load of games to Quinns in that time. And I've sort of just kept that going, which has been great. I mean, I've, I've absolutely loved it. I think this is the most games I've played in a row in my career ever. So I'm having loads of fun playing. Obviously, I'd love to be back in the squad with the summer tour coming up, that'd be great. But if not, I mean, it's just been great to play, to be honest. And with that as well, Hugh, so when you went to Quinn's, was it with an eye of still playing for Scotland or did you think actually going to Harlequins where they're full of English players, obviously Tyron's been playing phenomenally as well. Were you thinking it might jeopardise playing for Scotland or were you thinking it would enhance it? I still wanted to play for Scotland going down there. It was a late call. I was meant to go to France. Where was it? Bayonne? Yeah, they got relegated, if you remember, in that the last game of the season. Mm. And so it was it yeah, it was obviously late on that I that I ended up at Quinn's, which I'm so thankful for because obviously top club, they they won the Prem. So talk about landing on your feet, it's been great. And yeah, and, and just playing loads has been has been cool. But I want I, I still wanted to be involved with Scotland and I still do now. So I think the main thing for me has just been is been getting those games under my belt and, and trying to sort of get some sort of form going and, and see if I can challenge for a place again. Right, what I find amazing there, obviously you had a, you've had a decent Scotland career and hopefully there's more caps to come. Is there anyone apart from Hoggy and Finn Russell, and I was with Finn at Nobu the other night in Dubai and he's got a harsh Scottish accent, but is there anyone? We get people on here, Scotland internationals, none of you have got Scottish accents. What's going on? We've had <laughs> Ali Price on here. We've had Hamish Watson, some absolute legends. And you've all speak English. You're a Millfield boy. Come on, you're English, man. I'm, I'm more English than half the Quinn squad. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, I, I was born in Scotland and uh, I have Scottish heritage, I'm sure, similar to Jim. But yeah, I, I think that it's true. You make a good point. There's hardly anyone, well, a few of the lads. Duan's got a real mad Scottish accent as well. Yeah, you're walking around, you're walking around camp and, and you can only hear sort of posh home counties and, and uh, Afrikaans <laughs> accents. And then obviously you hear Hoggy and Finn, so it's a real mix, but... Yeah, yeah. Need to find out who the Scottish accents are and then get them on the pod. Yeah, th- there's not many. We, we, if you go down the list, there's there's not many. And we're not allowed to chat to Finn and Hoggy at the minute because they went and had a beer and you're not allowed to have a beer, so we can't have them on. Um, let's just talk about what it was like playing for Scotland, Hugh, because I'd say you mentioned you played 15 for Glasgow. I completely forgot about that because for me, you're synonymous with that game against England, right? Where you had the 13 on your back, but more than that, but as in like, that was the game where I was like, Jesus Christ, this kid is proper. Just give us a kind of flavour of what it was like playing in that 13 jersey when Finn was in the form that he was in. It was, you know, in the lead as as well to the Lions tour and lads had their eyes on that and and you were basically carving up on them overs lines and just ripping every team to shreds. Yeah, it was great. I think you mentioned sort of, been being on form there. I think the whole team we were we were on great form sort of that period of time. But yeah, I mean it was it was loads of fun. We wanted to play fast attacking rugby. We wanted to sort of run from anywhere and it suited the players that we had. I think sort of looking back at some of those games, I think Barks was in the form of his life at the time. I was all right. It was all right. Yeah. <laughs> Swino as well. Yeah. Yeah, true as well. Yes, it was unbelievable. Still doing a job as well at Saris. Nah, he struggled <laughs> at the weekend. He missed a tackle. I saw him miss a tackle. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was just we were having loads of fun throwing the ball around. And it was cool. I was I was obviously a bit younger there, just playing off instinct most of the time. Just give me the ball and, and I'll see what I can do. But yeah, it's cool. I was thinking about it and it's one of those I'd look at myself now and think I'm probably a better player now than I was then, just through experience and sort of knowing the game better. 
but yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to sort of get back in the Scotland shirt and be able to do that sort of thing again. Yeah, fingers crossed we see you back in there. And playing the way you're playing and playing with some of the lads you're playing with can only enhance that at Quinn's. I want to rewind the clock back because I know Marcus Smith reasonably well in terms of what his character's like. The Montpellier game last weekend, you know, the, the two games were phenomenal for the neutral to watch, but obviously the kick that he missed and then to bounce back the way he did at the weekend. What, what were the messages last week in terms of losing that game effectively to Montpellier, but then obviously bouncing back to try and go on and, and win the Premiership this year? Yeah, we're obviously all gutted. I think the damage was done in that first game. When you when you're you've got a team under the pump like we had them in that first half, the first half of the first half basically, and we didn't come away with points and and through errors of our own, and then they came back into the game with a few quick tries. I think that at that time it probably affected us a bit mentally, and we sort of maybe switched off or thought, oh, the game's gone. Come back out for the second half and and try to turn it around. But yeah, I think really over the two legs, the damage was done in that in that first half with Montpellier. I thought we played good rugby at home, but again, we do something great and we score a try, and then we'd make a mistake off the kickoff, and so we never really. I mean, we should have beaten them by more at home, really. And we'll take that. Looking at the score, just that game, thirty-three twenty or whatever it was. I mean, that's a good win against top of the table in France. But I think we we should have beaten them by more at home. We should have sort of been more clinical and stretched that lead a bit more. Because I think if we had done that early on, they maybe might have just given up. But as it came to it, it came right down to the line and, and the last kick. And it's tough. You can't you can't blame Marcus for that kick. I mean, he gets kicked all the time. Like, and sometimes he misses it. You don't know when he's going to miss. And you don't know when anyone is going to get that sort of kick but yeah I think I think the damage had already been done but yeah I mean hell of a scoreline 60-59 over, over two legs but I think we came in on Monday the leaders had had their meeting and sort of talked about it and got everything off their chests and from then it was just sort of that's it done park it because we're out of the competition so there's no point really talking about that anymore and it was focused straight onto the Prem and, and Tigers at the weekend and going into that game then we had a clear plan of what we wanted to do I think we played slightly more conservatively than we usually do. We didn't play a lot in our own half, but it worked. It, it, we sort of we didn't get bored with it. We kept our discipline and, and managed to come up out on top on, on the weekend. Yeah, I did an inter- interesting interview with Mike Brown for Rugby Pass, and one of the big things he spoke about was under Paul Gustard or coaches that they've had before. And you look at last season, obviously Guzzi go and then then going on to win the league was how player driven it was, and how the players like Marla and Danny Care and these lads all stepped up. When you're in that environment compared to being in the Scotland environment, is there a difference in terms of how the players are accountable and how much say they have? I mean, when I was at Saracens, like I, that was the big kind of shock for me was how much voice and how much power the players had. I get the impression that potentially with the characters at Quinns, that's the same, is it? Yeah, it certainly is. A lot of yeah, a lot of what we do is player driven, and, and any sort of decisions that are made, that sort of leadership group of sort of Danny, Joe Marler. Alex Donbrandt, Steph Levice and, and Marcus, they're all sort of consulted on that and they help to make decisions. So whether that's just around sort of the training structure of the week and plans going to the game. So it does help when you're in sort of big games like that and you have already proven leaders like that on the field that, that don't need messages from the coaching box and that can sort of make those big decisions in a game because they're doing it all the time. They're doing it every week. So, yeah, a lot of what we do is, is player-driven. And it's good. I mean, these guys have been around for, I mean, buying sort of Marcus and, and Domers, like they've been around for years. And so they know exactly what they're doing. They've been in environments, good and bad. And so they know what works for the guys. And it's, it's great, yeah. Just on that, does it get heated? Because we were talking again before you came on about Saracens. And 
when I was at Saracens with Owen Farrell, he'd be shouting at me because he thought I was shit and I was shouting at him because he thought I was shit. Both true. Yeah, both very true. In hindsight, very, very true. <laughs> but does it ever feel uncomfortable in that environment? Because I'm talking about an elite team now in terms of yourself, Quinn, who want to win the league again. Like, is there ever that you've got someone like Joe Marler who's an interesting character and could probably blow up at any point? You saw his emotion before the game against Leicester at the weekend. Like, does it ever get a bit kind of uncomfortably heated, but that's a positive for a champion team? Not really, no. I think, obviously, you know, like Joe's, he's a loud character and, and he'll say what he's thinking. But I wouldn't say it's ever, I mean, not this season anyway. It's not been heated at all. I think a lot of the big conversations probably go on behind closed doors. I'm not privy to that. I'm, I'm not involved in these leaders' meetings. So I think a lot of the big decisions get made there. And then when we do go out to train, I think the plan has already been set and we just follow through with it. I mean, the rest of us, we just get told what to do and, and we do it, uh, whether it's by the coaches or by the leaders. But yeah, those conversations they have, I'm not sure what goes on in them. I mean, I'm sure they do. They do have good discussions and and probably disagree a lot of the time, but they come out with it, come out of it with a with a clear plan of, of what we're doing. So yeah, usually it's fine. And looking from the outside, I'm looking at your back line, obviously, Danny Kerr, Marcus Smith, you know, Esther Hayes in the centres, Joe Marchant, Lewis Liner, Caden Murley, yourself, you know, there's Tyron Green. Basically, it looks like a hell of a lot of fun to play in that back line. You know, do you go out training? You see the boys practicing their goose steps. Is there a goose competition? It must be so much fun just chucking the ball around with those lads day in, day out, eh? Yeah, we do. We have loads of fun. I mean, name the player. Like, there's so much quality there. Uh, like, Andre is just, like we say every week, but he is just a cheat code. Like, he's so good. And like the rest of the boys... Like, line is rapid. Caden, I don't know how Caden's not there being the squad. He's ridiculous, though. Yeah. He's so good every single week, but never gets, like, any of the credit for it, really. His, his quads as well. Do you stroke his quads? Yeah, well, sometimes, yeah. They're massive. And always shape <laughs> and lovely. Yeah. But, yeah, no, we have we have great fun um, in back sessions. Like, the lads are skillful, especially now. Like, the sun's been out. I mean, it's not raining anymore. We hated it during the winter because... Dry ball is brilliant. We sort of have little competitions in training. We do sort of a lot of drills where you'll find yourself in one-on-one situations. But trying to defend someone like Tyrone Green is, is near on impossible. But um, yeah, like and it's good because the boys get to practice those sorts of skills that you then see on the weekend and beating defenders, just sort of running rings around guys a lot of the time. So I'm not talking about myself. I'll just sort of give the ball to these guys. But um, <laughs> yeah, like it is it is a lot of fun. You, you mentioned um, Danny Kerr and the influence that he's had in the, in the team. He's been one of the sort of form players of the Premiership this season. Are you surprised like he's not in the mix with the England squad as well? Yeah, I guess so. I think he's certainly got the quality and he's got on form enough to be sort of in that mix. I don't know whether because of sort of age or whether like he's his time is done. I don't know whether it's his choice or not or whether it's Eddie Jones's choice, but if you pick the England squad based on form, then he'd certainly be in it. You'll be able to answer this though. If you don't know behind the scenes what's going on there, you'll know the answer to this. Has he had his lid done or not? <laughs> I can tell you he has, Jim. I've told you that before. Well, I just want to hear it off his teammate. Are you allowed to share that? Because I'm sure he has. I think he has. I'm not sure. I'm not, I've actually never asked him. I think he has. Good teammate. I might, I might be completely wrong. There's a few lads that have. Who? Andre's had his done. No, he hasn't. <laughs> it's not the best job, though, is it? He's, he's going to hit me tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's had his done. 
Who else? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not at the club. There's a few boys that probably need to get it done. But there's a lot of lads that just have accepted baldness with good grace. I mean, your James Chisholm's and Tom Lauday's, uh, they went years ago. Jim, you, you've gone as well, haven't you, Jim? You've got the cap on now to cover it. I'm actually all right, to be fair. <laughs> have you had that done? No, I haven't. I'm, I'm, if, if, the, if the media carries on, then potentially I might need to. So I was chatting to Boy George at the weekend and he was bold. I was thinking, can I pull that off? Need a bit of eye mascara, you never know. One of the other things, I just want to ask you about Danny Kerr. Uh, is Danny Kerr still call himself the Tallies, the talisman? I've not heard him say that, but I'll ask him tomorrow. Go into training tomorrow and, and call him Tallies, and he'll be like, where's that come from? <laughs> I was on the pod with the lads. That's what he used to call himself at England training yeah. with me, the Tallies. You as well, I don't know whether you can answer this or you'll know the insight to this, but he's a forward. So same name as you, Hugh Tizard, going to Saracens. For me... He is up there now, one of the best second rows in the Prem. I've been so impressed with him. Has he been getting a bit of stick? Is there a regret that he's leaving? There must be shortly. Certainly, yeah. I mean, he's been brilliant this season. I didn't see sort of many. I didn't watch a lot of rugby last season of his, but so I didn't know how he was. But in terms of like a breakthrough season, I'm sure this has been massive for him. And I'm and I can probably guarantee that the club might regret letting him go because like he'll kick on and he'll be he'll be brilliant he'll play for England definitely he's a big lump he's hard to tackle he sort of he rides tackles well which is good sort of he's good in contact and he's pretty skillful as well but yeah I think he does get a bit of abuse from from the boys about going to Sarries it's obviously a rival club so Joe Marler gets into him daily about it, calls him a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, well, it's a joke, but it's also not a joke because, yeah, he's, he's going to probably our big rivals. Yeah, I think he'll he'll be great there. He might even miss the Quinns, the Quinns way because he does have license to chuck the ball around and Saracen's probably slightly more conservative the way they play than we are. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll do really well there because he's a brilliant player. The thing is with Hugh Tizard, so they used to dictate the level of second row signing on the house or the flat they gave them. Jim Hamilton got a one-bedroom flat above the M1 in Luton. I've heard Tizard's getting a four-bedroom mansion in Harpenden, so he's doing pretty well for himself, I reckon. Yeah, he's, he's getting a decent wedge of cash, so he'll probably really love it there. <laughs> I think he is. I know what he's getting as well. Hugh, last question from me. You've got a bit of history with South African rugby. You came kind of out of nowhere, really, through that system. Any appetite to ever go back? I know they're in the URC now. I mean, is there an appetite for you at 28 to get back there at any point? Or is Scotland and, and, and trying to make it to the next World Cup kind of forefront of your mind? It's always there. I do think about it and it's uh, sort of romanticised about yeah going back there and, and playing a few more times. But I think, yeah, for the moment... I would love to, obviously, with a with a World Cup coming up, I'd love to have a crack at that. Obviously, missed out on the last one, so this would be big. I really want to go to one of them and, and obviously play as many times for Scotland as I can because, I mean, it's great. It's playing international rugby is the pinnacle of your career. So, yeah, I'd say the focus is probably more on that. Whether playing in South Africa would hinder that, I don't know. I managed it for a little bit at the start of my career and obviously they're in the same competition now. So I'm not sure how that would work. But, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm... I'm really happy playing for Quinns at the moment. And if I was able to get back in the in the Scotland mix and, and add that to, to what I'm doing now, that would be that would just be perfect. Hugh, thanks very much for coming on, mate. And uh, best of luck for your uh, for the rest of your first ever season playing fullback. Yeah. <laughs> thanks very much. Cheers, Hugh. Cheers, Hugh. Thanks, mate. Legend. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. 
I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Top lad, top lad. I'm going to say it. He is a top lad and we'll get into it. How embarrassing are you, Jim? Uh, you know, I've never known you to play fullback in all my life, yet I must have commentated. At a champion club. <laughs> you didn't say that. <laughs> I was trying to. It, I was stuttering. You must have done about 10 Glasgow games last season where he's done in the 15 jersey. I've never seen you play fullback in all my life. What a bloke, though, eh? Lovely Scottish accent on him as well, eh? Yeah, lovely bloke. Yeah, he ain't a 15, in my opinion, for Glasgow. But for Harlequins, he <laughs> bloody well is. And I've just got it in my head, like in a 13 He was one of my favourite players for Scotland, like in terms of class. this modern mm. group of players coming through. And I know it's not a one-trick pony, but in my mind, that overs line that he runs or ran when he was playing 13 and Finn was at 10, I don't think there was a better combo at that time at 10 and 13 in the world. And... I want to see him back in the Scotland jersey. I know there's this yeah. whole thing with Scotland around the centres. We've mentioned Roy Hutchinson's been carving up for Northampton. He's nowhere near it at the minute. Uh, Tupolotto, he was one of the guys that went out for one or two beers and then got dropped out of the squad. They wanted to get him capped. Sam Johnson as well. Chris Harris, obviously at 13, now playing well at Gloucester. But I think with a player, and depending on what happens with Finn, if he decides to go to the World Cup, I'm not saying that he's not going to go to the World Cup, but if something happens with Finn... <laughs> right? And they put a Blair Kinghorn at 10. Would there be an opportunity for someone like Hugh Jones, who they now know can play 15, to be able to be a utility back involved? I'd like to think so. So I'm glad to see him carving up and what an engaging fella, eh? Well, let's take a look now at the URC. And Jim, you were commentating at the weekend, weren't you? 
I was on Friday. Failed to mention that, actually, with all the hysteria. So it was rugby, football, boxing, rugby. Ha, huh, what a life. Hey, but yeah, I was doing the big one. Stormers, Glasgow, from Edinburgh. Go figure. Uh, Stormers, making a run for it, aren't they? The Stormers are the team, right, that everyone's looking at. I know the Sharks are a team as well, which have got the potential to do something in the URC, whether or not they can do it this season. Hashtag always Edinburgh. Beat them over there. And we're thinking, actually... A Sharks at the races. And we'll come on to that game because they beat Leinster at the weekend. But I did Stormers Glasgow at the weekend. If we're speaking, frankly, it was a hump in against Glasgow. 32 points to seven. So bonus point win. I don't know how much you've seen the Stormers. Can they win the URC? And I know I mentioned on here, it could be in South Africa. It's been confirmed now that it's not going to necessarily be in South Africa. It'll be whoever tops the highest points after the semi-finals. You can work out the Da Vinci Code, but basically it's going to be in Leinster. Leinster. Be in Dublin. Yeah, it's going to be in Dublin, but it isn't going to be in Dublin if you look at it on paper. But basically, if you look, turn the page, on that page, it says Dublin. It says Leinster. So it's going to be there. But anyway, if a team can beat them, it could be the Stormers, I think. And they were class at the weekend. Damon uh, Willemser, absolute carving up. Zass on the wing. They've got real balance. Uh, Yanchi's at scrum half. Stephen with, with his kit off, who's captain. Malbert as well. I'm just reading out a few names. Their names that I thought I'd pick out because they're world-class names. When you're looking at the URC, it's been a foregone conclusion. For Leinster winning the last four years in a row. And you're thinking, oh, here we go again. Can the South African teams compete? Well, I saw enough in their game against Glasgow to give you a kind of maybe. I don't think they're good enough to beat Leinster if Leinster are full noise. But then that takes you forward now to... Next week's game, where Stormers play Leinster, Leinster ain't going to go full noise, are they? Because they've got the European game against Leicester the week after. And we spoke about it, Jim. You, you said last week that you know the Leinster have got these big two games, and then, lo and behold, the next day they flew out all the Shags, didn't they? <laughs> and nearly beat the Sharks. So that makes a bit of a mockery of, of, of it, if you're asking me. I don't think that's what, as fans, you want to see. But I would love to see a Leinster team fully loaded down in South Africa, but we're just not seeing that, unfortunately. Do you see the Sharks going a bit further in the competition as well after they win against Leinster? I don't, no. Really? They've got my Pimpy. Yeah, they've got my Pimpy. They've got Sia Khaleesi, obviously. Not just Sia Khaleesi, the Sia Khaleesi. Yeah, that's right. The Springbok captain, Sia Khaleesi. So they've got some big names across their team. But from what I've seen, I just, I don't know. I know that they're creeping up the table and they're looking to get in a home quarter. I just don't know. That win against Leinster at the weekend, you look at the Leinster team, no disrespect to Reese Ruddock, who was captain at the weekend. Yes, the names you would potentially know, but if you're a casual fan, you're looking at that and thinking it is, like Goody said, Leinster's second team. And if the Sharks, and they could have lost that game at the end of the match, if they're just scraping through a Leinster second team at home, at what point are you thinking they're going to compete? when Leinster are fully loaded. The South African teams are always going to come good towards the end of the season with the internationals playing. It's the way they've always done it around their super rugby and what they consider of their season with all their top tier internationals playing. And um, Sharks will be dangerous. You play anyone in South Africa and we've seen it. You know, I know Connacht beat the Lions this weekend over there, but Jim's mentioned it on here about 20 times. Edinburgh have been the only team to beat a South African team at home until Connacht did it at the weekend as well. So they're tough to beat over there. If they get home court final and a home semi, which the Stormers might, it's going to come down to a one-off game and Leinster have probably got too much because they're the Ireland team, right? It was a big win for Manchester, wasn't it? At Ulster, Jim. It was. Graham O'Rountree. <laughs> he said it, didn't he, on the pod last week. 
Graham O'Rountree said it was a massive game. You know, they've moved on from the extra victory in the Champions Cup, but they had a massive test. And he was right, wasn't he? It was a huge test. Ulster, obviously, off the back of disappointing performance against Toulouse the week before. Yeah, all these games are pressure games now to get to the knockouts and the jostling around the home quarters, etc., etc. And Munster coming into some good form. And finally, he got the gig. He came on the pod. He's the boss. They win at Ulster. They haven't done that for a long time. Graham O'Rountree, you are a legend. Lads, we've got a new segment. Oh, God. Go on. We're going to try a new segment. It's inspired, actually, by uh, the Graham Norton show. I was actually on that a few years ago where I sat in the famous red chair. Oh, let it go. Oh, mate. Making it about you again. Reliving the the moment. What we want is for you at home to send us a short story, a couple of minutes max. Then we'll pick out the best one each month or the best few each month. Then you'll come on the pod live and tell the millions. But... If your story is shit, you're going to get cut. You're going to get tipped like you're on the red chair. All you got to do is send a short audio note to us at our Rugby Pod social channels, any of the social channels, or you can WhatsApp it to our UK number 07 506 727. Hey, that's my number. Just send it to Jim. Plus 44 if you're outside of the UK. Do you guys want to hear how it's done? No. No. Okay, well, since you insisted, here's a clip of mine. Hello. Hi, what's your name? I'm Andy. Andy. Okay, so I was uh, out for a run with my friend Dunk, and uh, we were running past a park, <laughs> and Dunk really needed to go for a poo. We saw a, a toilet block, and there was a men's and a woman's, and uh, we ran over to the men's, and he was busting. He really needed to get this thing out of him, and the men's was closed. So at this stage, he didn't even care. So he went over to the women's toilets, and that was closed as well. So he's frantically looking around, where can I go, where can I go? So he ran over to this this bush and crouched down behind this bush and he went. And about 30 seconds later, I saw this a big German shepherd came bounding over and Dunk pulled his pants up, jogged off, and then, this, uh, and then about 20 seconds later, the owner of the German shepherd came over and she was like, oh, Roy, you naughty boy. It's a bag, it's a bag on her. Right, so what we're going to call it because I'm not a fan of Graham Norton. I'll be honest. Why uh, not? I think he's a fraud. Uh, no, did I say that? I think not a fraud. No, what's it? Why are you being horrible? Andy Rowe went on that show. That was his claim to fame. Have you got a podcast as well, Andy Rowe? I do actually. Yeah, I've got a podcast. It's on the ridge here. Oh, let, mate, let it go, mate. Let it go. Of let course. It go. What about? I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Why don't we call it? Because the stories are going to be, it's not going to be, oh, I went out, had a really nice time and mm. that was the end. It's going to be some horrible stories. So how about something like show us your skid marks? How big are your skids? Skids on a chair. Skids on a chair. How good am I? How creative am I? But maybe they're not sitting on a chair. But they're going to have to sit on the chair. Well, if they're stood up, they've still got skid marks, have they not? I don't, I don't, I don't know unless they're not wearing pants. How big are your skids? How big are your skids or the skiddy chair? Or skids. Just skids. <laughs> right, let's finish things off, Ben, with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, plenty of good. We're going to start off with England women. The Red Roses beat Ireland 69-0 for a 20-second win in a row in front of a record crowd of 15,836 at Mattioli Woods, Welford Road. And a massive shout-out to Emily Scarrett as well. She won her 100th cap in her hometown at the weekend. So uh, massive well done to the Red Roses. The Blues over in New Zealand, Andy Rowe. Eight wins in a row. I know you're a massive Blues fan, aren't you? Who cares? 
Ah, they dusted your Crusaders last week. They win again this week. They got their eighth victory in a row for the first time since 1997. Jesus. Uh, What a start for them. Bordeaux get a mention in the good this week. They had lost eight of their last nine games in all competitions, but won 23-22 away at top 14 leaders Montpellier at the weekend. So massive shout out to them. Uh, Luku kicked a penalty to win it for them. Connacht, big news. They beat the Lions 33-30 away in South Africa in Joburg in the URC at the weekend. So Jim can now stop saying it's only Edinburgh that have won in South Africa in the URC this year. Uh, So a massive shout out to all the Connacht boys bouncing back from their pants around their ankles against Leinster in the Champions Cup two weeks ago. What else was good? Northampton, we mentioned it earlier, came back from 31-12 down with about 15 minutes to go to beat Bath 36-31 and get that top four spot back in their own hands at the weekend. So a massive shout out to the Saints boys. Saracens, they get a mention in the good. Uh, they look pretty good in coming from behind at halftime to beat extra 38-22 and a shout out to Jim's best friend, Owen Farrell, he played exceptionally well at the weekend, so well done to him. But the good, and we're going to stick with Saracens, Jim, it is going to a Saracen. Oh, I know where you're going with this. This was from the ridiculously bad to the sublime. And I'm going to build it up a little bit. So England put out some video clips when they're in camp. And during the Six Nations, they had a bit of a football game, didn't they? And they put out a clip of Jamie George taking... It went to penalties to decide the winning team. They put out a video of Jamie George taking a penalty that went, I'm going to say 50 foot over the crossbar and miles to the right as well. It was absolutely horrendous. But the good this week does go to Jamie George, not for anything rugby related. I'm sure people have seen it all on social media and across every channel possible. That he's, I mean, what a claim to fame. Jimmy Bullard, he's on Soccer AM. Jimmy Bullard drops the ball on the net, the perfect volley into the top bins in the goal there at Soccer AM. Unbelievable techers, unbelievable bit of skill. He's hit the top bin on Soccer AM. It's his claim to fame. He could do that 100 times. It'd never happen again. So fair play. Jamie George, you get the good this week for your top bin effort on Soccer AM. Phenomenal. Jimmy Five Bellies. Absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> the bad few bits are bad. We're going to start off with Berits. They lost at Racing, which does happen regularly to most teams but it's the fact that they've now lost 11 games in their last 12 top 14 appearances so since November they've only had one win and they're heading back down to Pro D Dup so a bit of a shame for Biritz. Uh Newcastle get a mention of the bad this week again actually they lost 42 points to 14 at home to London Irish can't buy a win can't buy a performance Dino's potentially moving on from being director of rugby to just a scout or something who knows what's happening up there but Luckily for them, there's no relegation and Bath are even worse than them. So, uh, yeah, not good for Newcastle at the minute. They did beat Worcester recently, but that's their only win in the Premiership since the start of November. So, uh, bad times for Newcastle. Uh, talking of Worcester, their defence, absolutely shocking. 111 tries they've conceded in 22 league games. Do you know how many that is per game, James? This is your segment, Andrew. So, <laughs> Just over five. Just over five, so I'll let you know that. Yeah, absolutely shocking from Worcester. That's 24 more than any other team in the Premiership. And Bath, who are bottom of the Premiership, have conceded 24 less tries than them. So Worcester's defence, absolutely shocking. That's enough of the bad. We're going to go back to the sad again this week. Unfortunately, we've lost another 
Legend of the game, the death of former Ulster back row and South African international Pedri Vandenberg in a car crash in Houston after a 16-year-old driver who was being chased by police ploughed into him while he was in the car with his wife and two children. So thoughts with everyone that knows Pedri, his family, his friends uh, and his son as well who's in critical condition. So very sad news and um, you know a massive loss to the game of rugby again. So that's the sad this week instead of the bad. The ugly... Loads of ugly again as ever. We're going to start off with Angus Bell. He was sent off after 140 seconds for a tip tackle on Sam Kane down in Super Rugby. That was bad. That was bad and ugly. There's plenty more though. Nicolo Canoni tried to hand off Arno Botha but ended up punching him in the chin. That gets a mention in the ugly this week. Marshall Sykes, he gets a mention in the ugly this week. Sent off for Edinburgh versus Zebra for a shoulder to the head of Danilo Fischetti. So not good. What else was ugly? Gary Graham and Facundo Gigenia, or Gigenia, as people say. Both sent off by Carl Dixon after they decided to put their heads together. They weren't headbutts, but it was a joining of the heads. Carl Dixon, what a noise. But yeah, two red cards for Gary Graham and Facundo Gigenia. Uh, but the ugly this week, we mentioned it earlier, it has to go to Sam Bedlow's late high hit on Adam Hastings. It's about as bad as you, you can get. A ridiculous tackle from Sam Bedlow. He smashed him earlier in the game with an unbelievable tackle, perfectly legally. This time, Sam Bedlow's lost his head and taken Adam Hastings' head off as, as well in the process. So the ugly this week goes to Sam Bedlow. Thanks, Goody. And do you guys want to finish off with a couple of shout-outs? Yeah, there's a few today. The first one is a sad but positive one. We've got a big shout out to Holbrook All-Stars who are playing a match against the current Holbrook RFC team on Sunday, the 1st of May. It's a memorial match for their former skipper, Paul Davey, who tragically died last year at the age of 43. Paul was a legend of a bloke on and off the field and he was a damn good tourist as well. So... Good luck to everyone involved and get down and show your support if you're in and around the area, please. Yeah, and also a massive shout out to everyone involved in the annual Army versus Navy game at Twickenham as well. That's on Saturday the 30th of April and they've both beaten the RAF. So it's the final of the combined services trophy and it's always a monster piss up basically at Twickenham. Uh, get down and support you can and the Army and the Navy are two unbelievable things in our society. And the Army boys have asked me to say, go the Army sink the navy i don't really get it though jim do you yeah because they're all about the boats boats and yes yeah, so like, like the boats going down so like they sink uh, if they beat them. Yeah. yeah i won't go down with this ship i will put my hands up and surrender my voice sometimes you know if it's warm if it's warm from doing the podcast it just i blow my mind uh, anyway come on the army we've got a big shout out to connor mara RFC from Connacht, who won the Connacht Junior Cup last Sunday to complete their second successful league and cup double. Sounds like Saracens. Uh, and Canberra RFC, who have won London South 1. Yeah, well done, boys. And a massive shout-out and congratulations to Stockport Rugby Club as well. Uh, they're coached by Tom Eaton, and they all listen to the podcast, apparently. They've won 26 out of 26 games this season, so undefeated. But unfortunately, their bar has been drunk dry many times by the legend, good friend of mine, Dean Schofield. Uh, he asked me to give him a shout-out because he's basically down there abusing them every week and just basically drinks the bar dry. So uh, massive shout-out to Tom Eaton and all the Stockport Rugby Club lads on your unbeaten season. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Rugby Spod. 
Spotted pod, 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 pod. And before we go, here's a short clip of another new podcast I'm doing with futurist Matt Griffin. Hello and welcome to the Fanatical Futurist podcast. I'm Andy Rowe and I'm joined by the Fanatical Futurist, Matt Griffin. Matt, tell us what this podcast is going to be all about. We're going to be discussing the future of everything in every time. What do you mean the future of everything? So literally that. So we're going to be having conversations about the future of every single sector, every single technology. And we're going to be having conversations about the impact of all of these different things on human society, business and culture. So, for example, some of the things that we're going to be having conversations about are the future of energy, future of mobility, future of healthcare, future of the singularity, future of humanity, future of culture future of entertainment and media and all these kinds of things. So when we actually talk about the future of everything, we mean everything. And as from a technology perspective, yes, basically we're going to be having conversations about the boring old things, augmented reality, virtual reality, 5G, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, all that kind of stuff. We're also going to be having conversations about things like neural interfaces. We're going to be having conversations about 4D printing, bioreactors, which can solve famine, nanoengineering, genetic engineering, biological and liquid computers. So literally, we are going into the metaverse. It is a literal and figurative wormhole of the future. And the important thing to know is whatever just went over your head went over my head as well. So I'll be asking all the questions so that Matt explains everything in layman terms so that we can all understand. You can listen to our new show by searching for Fanatical Futurist wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.